You are listening to the Virtual World Society Nextend podcast. For this episode, we invited Dr. Louise Edwards, educator and VR specialist. To get involved with our organization, head over to virtualworldsociety.org. What is going on, everybody? It is Maxwell with the Virtual World Society Next and Podcast. Very excited to be here today with a wonderful, smart, and very successful guest, Dr. Louise Edwards, also known as Dreadwords, who is an educator, VR specialist, all-around awesome person. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. What I've got to ask right off the bat, is that Dreadwords is a very interesting name. And I notice on your site, which people have definitely got to check out, uh, you called it an evil villain name kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So uh, back when I was just finishing my PhD, a friend of mine noted that if you combine together the DR of Doctor and Edwards, it becomes Dreadwards. And he really felt that this sounded like an evil comic book villain name, and perhaps that this suited my personality somehow, and therefore gave me this name. And unfortunately, for many, many years, I was not able to use it, which gave me great pain because it it did make me chuckle inside and made me pretty happy. But then when I became a teacher, and you know the kids are going to call you something. They are going to give you a nickname. So I thought maybe I can go do the thing that no one can do and actually get them to call me what I want. So I subtly tried to manipulate them into calling me Dreadwoods, and it actually worked. So at, at my uh, first high school job, I became Dreadwoods or Dready, and it's kind of stuck. Yeah. Well, that is fantastic. I also, I got to say, very impressive that you did, like you said, the one thing that nobody can do, which is to choose your own nickname, get people to call you what you want them to call you. So that's uh, that's very interesting. What kind of manipulation techniques did you use? Did you always kind of drop it, drop it in like little, little subtle ways? Yeah, you know, I actually can't remember what my technique was. I think I was pretty bold and just just said, oh, you can call me Dreadwoods. Um and uh, with the whole comic book thing, and, and I've, I'm based in Canada, but I have, obviously I'm from England, so I have an accent and that does have a manipulative effect in itself. Yes, yes. Well, it's really wonderful to, um, uh, you know, to see, especially students connecting with their teacher like that and, and calling them this really cool nickname. Because I noticed, you know, especially when I was younger, my favorite teachers, I always called them by their nickname. You know, the ones that I wasn't a huge fan of or were really harsh, I would call them Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, whatever. So your students very clearly like you, which is a uh, which is a wonderful thing by by calling you Dreadwords, you know, which is, which is nice. And as far as being an educator, did you always want to be an educator? Or was it something kind of over time you were you you kind of got uh, got into? Um, it I know uh, is the short answer to that. Um, I I actually I grew up the child of two two high school teachers. Actually, my dad was a physics teacher and my mom a geography teacher. 
Um, and they always said that they would disown both me and my brother if we ever became teachers. So that kind of hung over us. <laughs> in fairness, in, in the UK, the profession is a lot more politicized than it is here in Canada. Um, and, but it, that definitely that definitely affected me. And also, I think when I was younger, I recognized that school had been probably a little bit too easy for me to make me a good teacher. And I think... Um, struggle makes you both more em empathetic towards your students and also more creative in how you explain things. So I think I needed to confront challenge personally to become a better teacher. Um, and it was really only after um, years in the private sector and academia and um, the, just the wisdom you get with some age, some years behind you that I realized that um, actually um, education and um, sharing this passion that I have for science and learning and um, uh, engaging with the world, I, I think was something that I really wanted to, to pursue professionally. Yeah. When you were starting off kind of in education, I noticed, you know, a lot of high school teachers, college professors, you know, whatever it might be, especially K through more so K through 12, will usually pick a, a particular topic that they wanted to teach. What, did the science come first, your your passion for science come first, or did teaching come first? Absolutely, the science came first. So when I was about 14, I became absolutely obsessed with volcanoes. And um, I, all I wanted to do was study volcanoes. It was like the, the mid-90s when every film was about a natural disaster and you had Dante's Peak and Volcano and Twister and all of these things. And I just wanted to be one of those scientists who was understanding these complex Earth systems and then translating that into um, kind of the more human side of how you communicate risk and how you... Um, help people live in these unpredictable places and um i so that really from that moment on that was my focus i also wanted my to make my dad the physics teacher proud um so i thought science was a great way to do that so i like that has been very science has been a big part of our family my brother did a degree in physics as well and we've got that's always been a thread growing up so then i pursued a phd in earth sciences which destroyed my soul as it often does but that desire to learn more about the planet and how the physical universe works um it has really driven me in most of my decisions as i've got as i've gone older gotten older and then education was kind of a way to share that and to help other people understand and see the power of of science and looking at the world in this way of um the power of that that has on i think moving society forward yeah, well, the sciences are are so important. They're imperative 
to our society. So, you know, it's wonderful that you got into into that field, our our understanding of the world, you know, the, our our physical world and our understanding of it is is so powerful. And I, I noticed that that oftentimes connects to virtual reality, teaching science and virtual reality is just it's the absolute best. It feels so cool being able to walk through a cell or, I you know, there's an engage. I work a uh, full time for Engage XR and you can see, um, you know, mountains, uh, sorry, uh, volcanoes exploding and getting a close up view of of what it looks like. So it must have been pretty interesting to start thinking of, hey, what are creative ways I can get my students interested in science and, and moving forward? What, what were some of the initial things that, that you did as an educator when you were teaching that you thought, hey, this is this is going to really get kids hooked on science. This is this is going to be the thing that breaks them into it, that really gets them fascinated with the field. Um. Getting them, getting them to get their hands dirty as much as possible in a very safe way. I think I spent most of my time as a chemistry teacher paranoid that I was going to kill a child. Um, but, but really, it's finding, so getting them to, um, I know it's a bit hackneyed, but building that volcano and watching it explode is hugely important. Of course, you have to do it right. And, and I think one of the, the things that's really drawn me to VR and and helping teachers develop and deliver earth sciences content is that that it's quite a challenge for a lot of teachers because they don't have the background they don't have that experience and the the resources that are available are dry or wrong or both but if you can get a kid to actually like shake up a bottle of soda and then learn this is what's happening in a volcano it's like oh wow I can see those bubbles expand and I can see what happens if I make that hot and I can see what happens if makes that cold and draw those connections between the familiar and the unfamiliar. I think that's really powerful and um, relating. I think it's really important to relate the stuff in the lab to real life because not everybody, in fact, the vast majority of the kids in that classroom are not going to work in a lab. They're not going to step foot in a lab after they have left school and left your class. And relating that to to stuff at home, like, oh, you know what? It's kind of important to know what concentration is, because if you ever want to grow plants, you're going to need to know how what amount of fertilizer to put in and how to make that work and you need to know all of these things that kind of connect to real life um so just making things visually fun like throwing water at each other is always fun and um using balloons to visualize things and making popcorn and food is usually a powerful uh, motivator um so the ways that you can connect things to things that they're interested in i think was really for me a really powerful approach, but um, until you can, it's hard to take them outside all of the time, especially in, I was teaching in Winnipeg at the time, which you may have heard described as Winterpeg. Um, so it, like when it's minus 30 degrees Celsius outside, like there's limits. So you have to be creative. And I think that's why I got so excited by the idea of VR in the, the way that it could transport people to places that otherwise they couldn't go and engage with these otherwise abstract concepts in a really tangible way. And everywhere I looked in my classroom, I was like, oh, VR could do this. Oh, VR could, ooh, which is not an exciting application for VR. And, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> what was the first experience that you had putting on a virtual reality headset that made you realize 
oh, I can use this. I can use this in the classroom to excite students and engage them and immerse them in the materials. Um, so my husband got an HTC Vive back in 2016. And I think the first thing I played was this game called Budget Cuts, where you're, there's some robots around and you have to throw knives at them. And it's really like the graphics are not very high quality or anything like that. But it was like, I really felt scared that I was going to get killed by an like by a, a tin can that looked like Bender from Futurama. And I, I just thought, wow, like I was blown away by that sensation. And and I think as I've learned more about how good video games are designed and how and, and good VR, like really that visceral emotion experience. And I think we're learning more and more the role of emotion in learning. And it just really put me in that position where I just wanted to be there. And I wanted to do more and wanted to learn more about how to get better. And I think when you put someone in that situation where they're primed to learn, uh, then it, it's, it it's just makes the job of actually learning possible. Yeah. Well, I noticed that education for so many years has been trying so many new things, or at least more specifically teachers have been trying new things such as virtual reality, augmented reality, AI, different lesson plans, video, audio, all these different technologies that they're trying to incorporate in the classroom to engage the students because what we know about learning now versus what we knew 100 years ago has changed so drastically. With the incorporation of virtual reality in your classroom and, and using that and, and making it feel making it feel real is is it the emotions and engagement that students experience where they're like, I want to come back tomorrow. I, I really want to come back and I want to keep learning. Does it does it keep them coming back wanting more virtual reality? Well, I have to give a bit of a, a, a caveat here is that I actually I'm not in the classroom anymore. Um, unfortunately, I don't get to spend time with um, with too many students directly in the classroom. I do with people, with non-students who get to engage in VR, certainly the things that I develop, but due to other external factors that have, <laughs> that is an entirely different conversation or entirely. I haven't, I've been more of a consultant for the last year or so, um, but, um, certainly my experience talking to kids after they've done educational VR outside of the classroom, it's definitely that they, they just, in, they simply enjoy being in the headset and they, I don't think they realize it's like learning by stealth, right? Like it's, uh, it's not so the, you want to make sure there's rich stuff in there that has value and that is helping them move towards an educational goal of some description, be it fairly general or very specific. But I think getting some, it's really the feedback I've got from everyone being who's been in, in the headset is just this big grin and just like, when can I get back in to enjoy that experience? Um, uh, so I think that's, that is a big part of it. Um, uh, for sure. Like, though, unfortunately, I haven't had the direct experience of delivering it to a, a full classroom in that in that way. 
was still, you know, being able to consult with organizations, schools, whatever it might be. You know, I know a lot of virtual reality consultants that that say something similar that, you know, you see that big grin, even if it's on a single student's face, you kind of know, I bet this can spread. I bet this can spread to the other students, to the full classroom, and it is really wonderful to to see that experience is how happy they are and how excited they are. And, you know, gaming with virtual reality is, is really popular, but I noticed that, you know, science and math and art, these things can be just as fun as, as playing a, a video game. And I, I've kind of noticed that over the years. Have you found that too, that virtual reality not only replicates our reality, but it can almost enhance it in a way. You can live out fantasies more. Absolutely. And I, I think it gives us some control and some interesting feedback that we actually don't get in the real world. And I mean, not only can we go to places that would be dangerous or destructive or or expensive, but the when you're in, so when you if you were to go to a place, you 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 can't immediately complement it with some interesting information on it. Like if you have a question about it, you can't engage with you you can't have that overlay of information or you can't um add some your own creativity to that situation to see oh what happens if i do this what happens if i do that you can't you just don't have that interactability that you have that you can build into a vr experience i think it's not always enhancing and we have to be really careful how we design these experiences but um but certainly um for, for certain thinking in a science science classroom perspective, like getting people to understand the scientific process and the importance of care in and precision and accuracy when you're doing uh, an experiment, like you can get you can put someone in a hyper realistic interesting scenario, but then give them data feedback about, well, actually you didn't add the right amount of this and you didn't add the right, you didn't swirl this enough, right? Like that starts to get them to not necessarily answer, but ask the right questions consistently when they're in the real world, which you can't do when you've just got kids in a lab kind of, you can't then go and analyze how they might improve in quite the same way. Um, and as you said, you can take them to a, to places which are like somewhat fantastical, but still, still embedded in reality that can heighten that emotional response, build that awe and wonder and, and, and get people to, to really care about, um, other people, other things and the planet. Yeah, I love that you say that. It's it's it creates a sense of empathy. It it creates a sense of of caring, which is really wonderful. Virtual reality, you can literally step into somebody else's shoes. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really love for I love it for many reasons, but the Metaverse for SDGs project. I mean, such a wonderful concept to, you know, think about that. So my question to you is, how did you start in the Metaverse for SDGs and getting getting involved with that do you think your history as somebody who cares as a scientist as an academic really drove you to say hey i want to get involved with this project yeah i i think it was a really natural fit when i learned about it i actually learned about it through um uh dr angelina dayton through the, with the virtual world society and i was lucky enough to meet her 
around this time last year, actually, we were on a panel presenting together at the VRAR Association Education Forum. And I call her my angel from Oklahoma because she has just really been my champion um, and really supported me as I've made this transition into, into VR and uh, invited me into the SkillSpark program and encouraged me. And at the time we met, I was working on a, a game called Elevator to the Center of the Earth, which is exactly how it sounds. You go on, a, you step foot on an elevator and you can choose which layer in the earth to go to. And as you go to these different layers led by your spirit guide, Mr. Magma, you can learn about um, the planet, the processes, how they impact us on the surface as humans and um, how geologists you and earth scientists use these tools to translate the story of our planet. Um, and um, she suggested, oh, that's definitely um, something you should do for this competition. I was like, okay, that sounds great. And then I looked at the uh, reminded myself of the 17 SDGs and I thought I cannot choose one. Um, so, um, and about um, well, six months later, four to six months later, I ended up going on a um, an expedition, an all women expedition to the Arctic fjords of Norway to study um, orca during the annual herring run and um it just the opportunity there to kind of tell this story about um a relatively unknown part of the ocean and tell it a, a different story about an apex predator that that gets sometimes a bit of a bad rap um but it's really important to the overall planetary health and ocean health I was really excited about the opportunity to align this with the Life Below Water SDG, to participate in this really important project um, and and also learn a lot more because I'm an, an earth scientist by training with a focus on volcanoes and the oceans are so, have always been of interest to me, but then, and certainly the biological side of things is really not an area of expertise to me and I really love the opportunity to learn some some new stuff and um, build some VR and work with some really cool people. And I was lucky enough to meet a lot of cool people on that trip and that kind of evolved into our, our experience found in the fjords. Yeah. It sounds incredible. I mean, really remarkable and and mind blowing, and it makes me wish that I I got into the sciences because I would have loved to to study orcas. I would have loved to study volcanoes. You know, things uh things along those lines. And my my life path led in a slightly uh, different direction. It's never too late, Maxwell. Never too late. <laughs> yeah. I'm on my fourth career, so never too late. <laughs> I am too. I th I don't know. Uh, I did voice acting for a while, radio for a while, virtual reality now so and that's what i notice about uh about, about people in vr is that we kind of we kind of shift around like there's a lot of influencers in vr that had like three different careers before virtual reality so i noticed that virtual reality kind of connects us also in that way and have you found that especially with the metaverse for sdgs project is that you're being connected with people that aren't necessarily like oh i've been doing virtual reality forever my whole life it's more so i did three different things and now i'm in vr 
I don't think, I think I've met three people who've been doing VR for their entire life. <laughs> Everybody. And I think that's what's great about it is because it is such a versatile tool to bring so many diverse disciplines and um, and areas and sectors together. Um, and certainly on our, on this project, um, my two collaborators, um, uh, Tiff, Duong and Aya Walraven, like Tiff had never, Tiff, I'm still not sure she's ever put a head in a headset until she comes to visit at the end of the month. Um, but she's um, a, an incredible storyteller who used to be a, a renewable energy lawyer in Florida. And she's now, she spends her time um, as a diving in the ocean and advocating for uh, healthy oceans. Um, and uh, right, she's a journalist, and then Aya Walraven, she's a product designer who has a has some background in emerging tech, but this VR is new for her, and she's one of those people who is just quietly talented at everything. And you realize when oh, can we do this? Yes, I can do that. I, you know, so I and so and other people who I've met through um, VR AR Association and XR Women to other organizations. I'm pretty heavily involved with they're all coming from different places and connecting in this this xr space and bringing such diverse and unique skills and voices that uh, really makes me see the world in a different way and makes me optimistic of how xr can help so many other people embrace new and different perspectives on the world it's amazing to see that. I mean, seriously, you talking about all these different perspectives is is really wonderful because I noticed that, especially working in, in virtual reality, I've never, and I tell this joke all the time, I've never had to memorize so many time zones in my life working in virtual reality. I don't know if you can relate to that, but... I have worked with people from Japan, from China, from the company that I work for full time is in Ireland. So they're five hours ahead of me in, in Eastern Eastern times. We have a couple different time zones just in the U.S. alone, you know, at the U.S. and Canada and Mexico and you know all these different places. And it connects all of these people and with all of these people and these different perspectives and this collaboration, which is really amazing. Do you think that virtual reality is a technology and, and the metaverse is a technology that's really going to stick around for a while? Yes and no. I think it, I think VR will. Um, I am still, in terms of that level of connectivity and some of the kind of more metaverse things, I think there is still a role for real reality um, and uh, I think we do have to be really judicious, certainly at the beginning, in of where we deploy VR and how we use it, because it really it should enhance our experiences, as we spoke of earlier, right? Like, and there are lots of opportunities for that to enhance it. And I, I really like the um, the ride acronym: Rare, um, Impossible dangerous and expensive. And I like to add destructive to the end of that because I think it can help us offset some of the harm that humans like to do. Um, and in in those circumstances, I think it's really, really powerful, but I don't think it's applicable everywhere. So if we get that right and we don't 
destroy what it does well by trying to make it do everything, I think that it's got a long, long life ahead of it. But I could be wrong. Honestly, I, I think you're right. That's just one man's opinion. But uh, I, I think you, you are absolutely right. And I think that virtual reality needs more people like you. But I also think the world needs more people like you, people who are using their intelligence and their talents to to help, to help the world because they care. So I just want to thank you for being you. But I also want to thank you for your contributions to the metaverse for SDGs and all of the work that you're doing. Again, we need more people like you in the industry and in this world. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you very much for bringing all of these wonderful people to the foreground, too. It is absolutely my pleasure. Once again, Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You have been wonderful. I've learned so much, and um, I'd love to have you on again in the future. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks very much for having me, and I'd love to come back. Excellent. All right. Once again, it is Maxwell with the next in podcast from the Virtual World Society. We will see you once again every Friday. Thanks so much for listening.